0: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast by the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of infant and campus.
1: I don't get the good phone calls most of the time. I get the ones where kids are in crisis and we've got issues. So yeah. it's yeah. really nice when we have something that's uh, that's good to talk about and and reminds us of success. It's nice to be able to do that.
0: Hello and welcome to Transforming K-12 Education, an Infinite Campus podcast. I'm your host, Peter Snell. Infinite Campus is a student information system used by 2,000 school districts across 45 states, supporting a total of 8 million students. This podcast explores our corporate mission by diving into our customers' stories and experiences of how they are transforming K-12 for their students, staff, and communities. Today's episode is part two of a two-part series on dropout prediction. Last time we heard from Head of Learning Science, Dan Jarrett, who talked about the unique statistical model behind the Infinite Campus early warning system. Next up, we're going to introduce our special guests, Leslie Hall from Hardin County Schools with 14,000 students, Tim Campbell from Jefferson County Schools with approximately 95,000 students, and Cindy Dameron from Russell County Schools with approximately 3,000 students, all from the state of Kentucky. Kentucky Department of Education has been an Infinite Campus customer since 2006, utilizing Infinite Campus State Edition at the state level and Infinite Campus SIS in all their public school districts.
2: Tim Campbell, I'm assistant principal at Barrett Traditional Middle School here in Jefferson County, Kentucky. And one of my main jobs here is to maintain all of our data in in our building. I'm kind of the data geek, if you will, of our building.
3: I'm Leslie Hall, and I work at the North Hardin High School in Radcliffe, Kentucky. And I'm the Youth Service Center coordinator here. A lot of my programs start off by who do I need to invite? Who are our top at-risk kids?
1: I'm Cindy Dameron, and I'm the Director of Pupil Personnel with Russell County Schools. Um, And my background, I came from an elementary school background, but then I was a school counselor for seven years, so data became everything to me. So then when I took this job um, specifically and worked with truancy, enrollment, dropout prevention, um, I supervise alternative school. So a lot of um, alternative populations and kids who struggle, even more so, we started looking at looking for data to support kind of what we were doing, or to make sure that we were targeting the right kids.
0: Kentucky was the very first state in which we released the early warning tool. What were some of the challenges that your district faced before this feature became available to you?
2: In Jefferson County, we've been very data-rich for a long time. We've collected and inputted a ton of data into our computer systems but pulling the data out and making use of the data that was collected has always been, been a trick. And at the same time, identifying kids who need extra assistance has, has been a challenge also. And so, so prior to the early warning tool, a lot of this went to teach recommendation, which is inherently biased or can be inherently biased for a variety of reasons. And so you have the data hidden somewhere in the computer system. That tells you about the child but if you don't have a way to pull it out and really look at it you may may miss a kid and miss supporting a kid and ultimately end up hurting a kid the early morning tool became a tool that that helped us to close those gaps
1: obviously grades attendance and behavior are an indicator but even with some of those kids we were missing some kids who they had pretty good grades they had pretty good behavior they had decent attendance, but they were going into crisis mode at age 16 or 17. And because they didn't have maybe the right supports in place or some serious family issues going on, they weren't on our radar. And then all of a sudden I'm dealing with them trying to keep them from dropping out. And so that when early warning tool came along and incorporated some of the things like how many times they had address changes, And some of those demographic things that I know from my job, from being a counselor, from working with the court system, from working with alternative school, I know is huge because sometimes we have younger students, middle school, even ninth grade, who even in those horrible situations, they're still hanging on with grades, behavior, and attendance. But we are appreciative of having something now that flags. Wait a minute, you might want to take a kid, look at this kid, and find why why are they flagging? and are there some supports you want to put in place now before the bottom falls out? It has
3: helped, at least from the youth service and family resource youth service center aspect, of being able to really hone the at-risk kids and and knowing where those programs need to to touch base. We have strived for. decades to get data driven from us because it started off with family resource and youth service centers it was all about the story but we needed the data and this helps us in that way and and know that we are we are not losing those kids that that nobody noticed that the teacher didn't see that didn't come into our office now we can get our top 10 top 20 kids And know that there is a need there because the data says there's a need there. And it's just, to me, it's just been a wonderful resource.
0: That's great. What comes next? How are you providing interventions right away? Are you holding a conference with these students? What does that look like?
1: So we do, um, formally, we do um, three to four dropout prevention meetings a year where, for example, our first one we'll do right around fall break, which would be end of September, 1st of October for us, where I'll take the report and we'll go together as a team um, at the high school from the guidance counselor, someone from alternative education, myself, a principal, and our family uh, youth service center director. And we will start by looking at our 12th graders and saying, wait a minute, let's look at those first. Let's filter by 12th grade and see if there's somebody we've missed. And what I love about it is now that we've used this tool for about five years now, typically during that meeting it's a really good feel good meeting because there are very few kids at that point that we haven't already done some type of intervention for move them to an alternative program help them get jobs worked with them on what they needed kind of intervenes with some family situations then we move on down to 11th grade and then we start targeting those by the time we meet again at the first of january then we're then we're dropping down and targeting 10th grade in ninth grade when we get up from that meeting we've gone down as far into the list as we can go and have discussed every individual kid um we sit there with our infinite campus open and look at you know why is this one look at this grad score well let's look at the grades let's look at the credits let's look at the suspensions wait a minute what's going on with this one that they're showing up at all oh it's the stability score so um, by the time we leave there, we've assigned that kid to someone that's going to follow up and work whatever the plan is that we've made for them.
3: Well, one of the things we've used it most recently for was our school was given a re-engagement grant. The early warning tool helped us with that. It helped us by having the fact that you could make a caseload and follow just those kids so you weren't always going through all the data of everybody. Um And we even managed to move the needle on some of them. 80% of the ones that we were following maintained or improved their curriculum scores.
0: Wow. Okay. we
3: had that data to be able to give back to our funders. When I'm doing a mentoring program and I have people coming in and they say, we can mentor 12 kids. Well, I know where my top 10 are coming from. The data is there. It's telling us those students need help. So why wouldn't we
2: start there? Wonderful. I'll say that I tend to use the early morning tool as one of my pieces of data when I triangulate the assistance I'm gonna um, provide to a student. I find it to be pretty accurate, but, but I still wanna go and find out more about that in, individual student's story to really make sure that, that whatever, it is we're, whatever treatment, if you will, that we're gonna to apply to that student is the appropriate treatment for the appropriate problem.
0: What are some of those other tools and resources that you utilize to kind of get a better idea of what's happening with a particular student?
2: Well, like I mentioned, the, the student story is definitely an important process to it. So, so, actually, having, you know, getting into the data and getting into the student and talking to the student and the student's family and picking up those pieces that don't necessarily re- get recorded or reported out from data, but affect the child. At, at some point, you have to realize that, that the student is a student, the student is a child, more, more than a piece of data.
0: How do you approach students that are at risk of dropping out based on what early, the early warning tool tells you?
2: Sometimes it's a school counselor
1: that approaches them, brings them in, just has a one-on-one conversation with them and says, here's some things that the, our team noticed. And we want to, you know, see what we can do help." So it may be an assignment to our mental health specialist to maybe get them some counseling in place to help with some of the either behavior or the stability things. Sometimes it's the youth and family resource director because if she has said, oh, I'm already familiar with the situation. I know some needs that they have. Let me reach out to the family and see if we can intervene that way and put some supports in place. Sometimes if it's grades and attendance and we've got some credits that we're missing, we'll get referred to our um, alternative programs team, which would be where we have an academy that we can move them into where some of their classes are performance-based. Sometimes I leave there and they're mine. And it's, Miss Cindy, we've done everything. Why haven't you filed a truancy referral yet? Because we need some intervention from the outside. So sometimes, unfortunately, that is the solution. We usually have tried other things before we get to that.
3: I have found that uh, a large percentage of the students who are at the top high risk tend to know who the youth service center is and, and what we can do for them so i do get a chance to know them occasionally there's there's three or four in there that you're like wow their data is and i here and i haven't seen them yet so yes i do try to meet with them because tim is right that story the story is worth it i'm sorry it's worth as much as the data because you have to know that story. Um, and then that tells me, do I get them into a mentoring program? Do, do they need mental health services? Is it a, a family thing where I can talk to parents? And uh, like Tim says, starts with getting to know that student. Data just kind of points us, waves the flag, points us in the right direction. Yeah. And, and that's great. Um, but then there's a lot of uh, information behind the data. Why is the data there? And that's what we have to find out to get them the appropriate services they need.
0: Yeah, I think that's very fair. Well,
2: uh, and I would think Leslie's experience at high school would be different than my experience in middle school with the students, and you know, and that my students have several more years before they're going to be graduating or not graduating than hers. We'll, we'll have conversations depending on where where the student is. I'll show them their graphs, then then we'll have challenges to see what we can do to change the attendance factor and see how that affects the rad score, and we'll play it like it's a game with, with our students a little bit. Uh, no offense to Dan on this, but if the the grad score is looking low, I want to prove Dan wrong. We're we're gonna prove that Dan didn't get it right with his projection on this, if you <laughs> will, because we're gonna get that child to graduate and we're gonna make, make the child be everything he can be.
0: Yeah. Dan correct so, me if I'm wrong, but yeah. I don't think you take any offense to that at all, right? Oh, no. I think the the <laughs> no. end goal is to get these
4: get these kiddos to to graduate. To work with data means to know the limitations of data. And so uh, something that is immediately obvious is that every data point in Infinite Campus is a summarization of something much richer and much more real that went on. The majority of that information is going to be found in a relationship between a teacher and the student, between counselors and and the family. Uh, So we are extremely happy to be a, a signpost or to ensure that if there are blaring signals that might be hidden in the data that those come to light um, but of course it is fully a relationship driven um, system that just like teachers will use data to differentiate instruction that counselors or you service center coordinators um, or a- APs can use this information to differentiate actions of any type but the actual differentiation the the work you're doing with the the students that that is 100 relationships 100 know the child know the child know the child
0: yeah i agree any big successes that you've seen related to supporting at-risk students
3: i call it a success anytime you can move that needle anytime you can change those scores so my entire report for that uh re-engagement grant um was based on how did the students move the scores here? We, we targeted them from these at-risk numbers. I was pleasantly surprised that they were able to move that needle and change that score. That to me showed that at least that program was, was useful.
0: Yeah. I love that move the needle. Dan, I think we need some campus early warning t-shirts with move the
4: needle. That's true. Uh, Leslie, a follow-up question there. Was that program a year long, multiple years long, or was it uh, within a portion of a school year?
3: It was probably about an eight-month-long program. There was a lot of um, targeted services, direct contact, one-on-one with the re-engagement specialist. You know that it's going to be about that relationship you can form because they need it in the school because they're not getting it. Maybe somewhere else.
1: Just this year, we caught one that was a junior, um, was getting ready to turn 18 in February. On top of that, she um she was EL. She just didn't have a lot of help at home. Um, they would leave early in the morning to go to work, wouldn't get home till after school. So sometimes they didn't even know that she wasn't at school. And we honestly, when we caught, when we flagged her and we were like, oh my goodness how did we miss this? This is an 11th grader. How have we not done anything yet? I cannot lie to you. We looked at the data. We looked at her birth date. We looked at the history of some of her siblings. We looked at how many credits she was short, and we honestly thought we were going to put a really good plan in place, and come February 4th, she would be gone when she turned 18. She has caught completely up. She's finishing her last two junior classes, and that she will be down to senior English and senior math next week. It was like, oh wow, if we hadn't have called her, it would have snuck up on us. And there's nothing we could have done to talk her into saying
2: nothing. I've told the story, I, I had a student who was involved in some, um, he had a traumatic event, if you will. And, and it was an event that's not recorded anywhere in Infinite Campus, you know, it's not one of those kind of things, but, I was watching his early morning data as it happened because I knew it's something that's gonna affect his ability to graduate. For some reason, it noticed that his absence that day mattered more than the absence previously or something. I don't know, but it, but it picked it up and there was a drop in his grad score. And then we watched as it built back up, uh, you know, as he recovered from the incident. And so, so it was really interesting to see how it picks up and captures what's going on in the student's life even when the data re- really wasn't going in the computer. I don't know how it picked it up, but it did.
0: Are there any remaining challenges that you see when it comes to improving graduation outcomes?
3: I was looking at some of the numbers uh, before we got on here, um, looking at my top 21 at risk in the the grad score category, but I also noticed in those they had, uh, most of those, 67% of those had issues with stability and curriculum, and 62% had uh, issues with attendance we have to also understand that then that brings in a whole new gamut because that's about parenting. We have to get our parents on board in education. They need to be our partner. Make education something we want again, not something that's mandated, but that that we want to go and we want to learn. But we've got that's a societal thing as well. So.
0: Right. And that's tough cuz that's outside of the the child's control as well. They they can work hard to help build up that curriculum score and can work hard on behavior to get along with, with other students. But yeah, attendance can be outside of their control and stability certainly can.
2: If mom and dad don't wake up or their caretaker don't wake them up to take them to school, they can't drive themselves. Yeah. you know, In middle school, you can't drive yourself. So it's not an option for them. And, and so the attendance thing tends to be totally outside of the middle school students' um, control but has a major impact on their ability towards graduation. And, and so it, it is a problem.
3: I'm glad that they took into consideration those outside factors in a, in a child's education, that they, they put the attendance and the stability factors in there, because it, it, it's all about the real, well-rounded look that you get from a child. You cannot take one data point and say, this is what we're going to help you with. When he's got four other data points that are not, not working. So I do I I appreciate that, especially from the Family Resource use Service Center aspect of it, because that's what we do. Mm, Um, Right. Having that data included in there.
4: Glad to hear that, Leslie. Thank you. Um, It's it was extremely obvious to us at. Infinite Campus, that education is so highly interrelated with other factors in the society. Students have to have a safe place to sleep at night. Uh, they need to have a supportive family or peers. They need to be able to have good transportation and food security. Um, and all of these things uh, are you know, not under individual educators' control or individual parents' control. Or, you know, some high official at the U S department of education, that this truly is a a related effort that we all have to care about and all play our parts. And so yes, there, there are factors in early warning that have what we would call low agency. Kids will have a hard time changing them or or any individual have a hard time changing them. But what that means is that it requires relationship building in order to get to root causes and solutions for them. And of course, a computer system is not going to do that for you, um, but we have a part to play, just like you do.
1: I think the remaining issues are just literally the human aspect of that. Because from an Infinite Campus standpoint, we have the tools if we're willing to use the data and, and stay on top of it, not lose track or not get behind. We as humans just have to number one, use it. And number two, you, you have to have programs then to support, because once you find out that kids are in those kind of crises, traditional classrooms and traditional interventions are not always the thing that's going to work. All
0: right, so I have One last question for all of you. What is the message that we as educators should be sharing with students about the importance of graduation? If you
4: earn a high school diploma, you are more likely to have a job, to hold down that job, and to be paid more for that job. And so even if all you care about is making sure that you've got enough money for yourself and your family later in life, a high school diploma is critical.
1: Not every kid needs to go to college. But we've got to get a high school diploma, and then we've got to move on to a job that will train you and take a hold of you and allow you to grow and and continue to grow your whole life.
2: I always go back to something my mother said. You collect keys at every stage of life, doing all kinds of things, and often you'll collect keys you may never use. You're going to come approach a door, and if you don't have a key, you're not going to be able to unlock it to go through it. And, And graduation is one of those keys.
3: Just know that you want to move forward you will always have more opportunity with that piece of paper in your hand than you ever would without.
0: Very thoughtful conversation and I know our listeners appreciate it as well. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button wherever you're tuning in from. If you are an Infinite Campus customer and want to continue the conversation, join us on the moderated forums in the campus community. If you want to learn more about Infinite Campus in our student information system, go to www.infinitecampus.com. There you can register for an overview demonstration of Infinite Campus. Again, my name is Peter Snell. Thanks so much for listening to Transforming K-12 Education.